This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everybody, welcome along once again to the Real EFL League One podcast. We are now on to episode 10 of this season's pod, dedicated to the third tier in the EFL, as now the division is started to take shape as we start to see who could possibly be finishing where come May. Alongside me, your host Matt Hiles, we have two guests, as you already know, and one of them is in the form of a regular voice, who despite his side trying their very best to knock him down a peg or two, or maybe a lot more than two, he's still up and available to talk about all things League One. In case you didn't know who I was talking about, it's Mr Johnny Hunt, all the way from Ireland. How's you, Johnny? Good, mate, good. Glad to be here again. It's a bit of positivity after watching Reading. And you've even just managed to put a smile up for us as well. So that's even better. That's exactly what we want to see. <laughs> Plus, we're also welcomed by our nearest member, who's making his League One podcast debut in Charlie Beeston, who's a Lincoln fan, adding to our already large contingent of Lincoln supporters for this pod in Gaz Hutchinson and Chris Lamin. Hope all is well and hope you are looking forward to it as much as we are for having you on. So welcome along, Charlie, first of all. Ah, thank you so much for having me, Matt. I am uh, really looking forward to it. Yes, I am proudly waving the red and white flag as if you didn't need any more of that. <laughs> yeah, well, we now we sort of now know who you are, obviously, supporting. So with all the introductions out the way, we just want to say thanks so far for all your support for our podcast, leaving reviews and listening to what we've produced so far. And of course, giving us a lot of attention on social media and all the platforms we have placed our pod. So from the bottom of our hearts, we really are gratefully appreciative of what you have done for us so far you the audience well moving on to this episode then well this weekend there was lots of goals drama red cards penalties and surprise results but that's standard really for the third tier only 11 games to discuss from the weekend plus also a preview of monday's offering something a little bit different as we discuss burton's game against cambridge from the pirelli which of course will round off the weekend tomorrow Let's start off this podcast then with the biggest result from the weekend. Fleetwood 1, Wickham 4. Big result for Matt Bloomfield. The biggest one I think he's had in his reign so far in terms of scoreline as Wickham came away from the sort of Lancashire coast with a victory to their name. Uh, they managed to beat Fleetwood 4-1 as Fleetwood, of course, finished with 
10 men. Of course, Matt Bloomfield stressed the importance of sort of freshening his team up. The likes of Joe Lowe, Killian Phillips, Dale Taylor, who would score twice, would be involved from the side that lost in such bruising fashion to Portsmouth on Tuesday night. Fleetwood, of course, couldn't repeat that win against Cheltenham by, of course, making it a third win in a week after, of course, last weekend they beat Leighton Orient. Um, starting off with you, Johnny, obviously, you know, from the, the Wickham point of view, um, you know, a 4-1 victory. We have seen the best of Wickham a little bit. We have seen the worst of them come to the extent this season. Ten games in, you know, are they exactly where you expected them to be come the sort of point in the season that we are now? Yeah, they're consistently inconsistent, aren't they? <laughs> like they 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 batter sides and then they lose surprising games. Like three, th the last five games, win-loss, win-loss. If they could fix that, they'd be up there. It just seems to be this one step forward, one step back almost. Like they on the day yesterday, like you know, three new up at half time, game over. Um, they blew the team apart. You know, they, they were just Dale Taylor, you know, is a young lad from I think it's Forest on loan. He looks, you know, a real promising talent. And when they're on fire, they're on fire. And when they're cold, they're cold. It's it's that's the one thing that they need to fix up. I mean, I think the home form. If I'm not mistaken, they they lost the first game, haven't lost at home since, um, you know, which is huge. So that's that's one big thing you need to get anywhere in this league. Um, but these games where they've got now coming up, um, who is it now? Uh, away to Stevenage, home to Cheltenham, away to Peterborough, home to Bolton. They're four games again that really for them, you know, they could go either way, but they're teams that, Apart from Cheltenham, obviously, the other three are, are teams that are going to be around the top eight, ten at the end of the season. So that's three markers as we kind of, like you say, that 10 game point in the season where you go, the league starts to settle down. We're going to see that from them. But they can they score goals. It's, um, you know, that, that's the thing. And, you know, defensive wise, if they can just fix that inconsistency, they're going to be up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really sort of disagree with a lot of what you've said there. I mean, Matt Bloomfield also stressed the fact as well. It was really important he highlighted this. He actually thanked uh, the owner, Rob Cooing, because he said that he called him to say that it was OK for the players to have an extra day for sort of preparation. He sort of said that, you know, they were late coming back from Portsmouth on Tuesday. They actually travelled up to Fleetwood and sort of around that area on Thursday. So it meant that he also said it was a good chance for the players to maybe bond a little bit more uh, and have that sort of time extra uh, in sort of the, the, the company of each other that may have been missing previously. Uh, a, a bit of a bump for sort of Fleetwood of late after their two wins in a row. Um, certainly a lot of improvement has been made since Lee Johnson sort of arrived. Obviously, they got a draw against Burton. They have obviously beaten Leighton Norrit. They've beaten Cheltenham away prior to, of course, losing to Wickham. The XG is improving all the time. They're noticeably sort of, you know, looking like they're a bit more of a threat going forward. I think under Scott Brown, it was almost a case of you didn't really think Fleetwood were ever going to really score. But I think that's slowly kind of changed at Fleetwood since Lee Johnson's come in, particularly sort of Orient and Cheltenham, the numbers, you know, again, figures are always different in numbers, but they had 30 shots between those two games um, sort of over the past week. So they are improving. The XG's gone up. It was 1.16 yesterday against Wickham. Wickham had a 1.62 XG, 16 shots to Fleetwood's eight yesterday. Um, Johnny, also, you kind of mentioned, Lee Johnson, that it shouldn't take me to have a team talk and three, so three, four, five subs to get that group going 
at half time. So a little bit of a blip for him, you'd probably have to say, given recent results of late. So just kind of given those facts and statistics, what have you made of the start he's made so far? Because possibly, maybe in my own mind, he has slowly turned Fleetwood around a little bit. Yeah, like I think, you know, he seems to favour this 3-5-2 system, um, totally different from what they were playing under the previous manager. And, you know, the last two games they've won, but I think yesterday it was just a day where Wickham were too good. And I don't think they can just, you know, they they, they cut uh, Fleetwood apart at the back numerous occasions. And that's what Wickham can do when they're playing well. But I don't, you know, you look at that result and you look at it as an isolation because they've got, Goal scorers. They've got Jack Marriott. Uh, three and three games, I think it is now. But they've also got a bad discipline record. There's four reds, I think they've had this season. You know that that kind of stuff is going to cost them. You're going to get players. You know they, they haven't got the biggest squad, and when you haven't, you you can't afford to lose players for times like that. There's going to be injuries and everything else. Like we've spoke about Johnson before, and I think there's a very uh, he's a he's a marmite manager, isn't he? That we all kind of agree that. People, I think we could say that again, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I think, you know, for Fleetwood, it's it's realistically for them, it's looking at, like, you know, them as an objective for this season, it's kind of mid-table, safe mid-table. And I think he'll do that. I think, you know, that he's that sort of manager that's kind of gelled them together. And, you know, aside from yesterday, you know, the results previously have been good. But with Lee Johnson, we've seen this before, haven't we, that you get the good start and then things fall apart so you know at Christmas it's not long away I think we'll kind of see where they're at but I, I think that you know they'll be all right this season I think you know that's that's the way he's got things going yeah Ben Hedigan was sent off at Fleetwood yesterday uh, as of course as Johnny rightly mentioned they did finish the game with 10 men he actually said Lee Johnson uh, that they had more of a go with 10 uh, and he said that they actually didn't deserve a clap off um, the players from the fans. So certainly a lot of sort of home truth said from Lee Johnson after his side were beaten by Wickham, not just beaten, in fact, well beaten as they lost by four goals to one. Probably the most surprising result of the day is Bolton one, Carlisle three. Of course, Bolton, as we know, strong at home. A lot of people's contenders to be the sort of league champions come May, not quite in their performances produced like champions for the bulk of the season, but they have largely got mostly wins under their belt. Um, but Carlisle certainly shocked the sort of League One sort of fans, didn't they? As Jordan Gibson's hat-trick saw Carlisle win 3-1 in a game. They actually fell behind from John Mellish's own goal and miss a penalty through Joe Garnett, but also score one with Jordan Gibson. Charlie, obviously, biggest win of the season for Carlisle. Without doubt, the most impressive. 4.5 thousand fans were there yesterday, around that figure anyway. Without doubt, the best result Carlisle have had. I mean, you know, we talk about the word sort of springboard quite a lot on this podcast with certain results. How big could this be for Carlisle moving forward, in which so far this season they've been pretty unspectacular, maybe relied on defence more than attack. Do you maybe now sense that there could be a shift change moving forward? Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Carlisle, I mean, yesterday's game had everything about it. Obviously, a massive away fan base following. I, I know that there was uh, huge issues with the train yesterday morning, so a lot of them mm. struggling to even get there. Uh, and But they did, and they went and saw their team. Like you say, Gibson with a hat-trick. They even scored an own goal. They had a penalty save. Everything about the game yesterday was just, just mental at the end of the day. Carlisle... Yes, they can very much use this to kind of kickstart their season. You know, they're, they're what, in 19th place? 
Um, I've been really, I've been really impressed with Carlisle from what I've seen this season. I think they know what they are. They haven't tried to be too expansive and try and play football that's going to get them relegated. They've been really kind of steady at the back. They've known exactly when to push forward, when not to. Uh, sometimes that hasn't necessarily worked for them with the results, but I felt like performances, they've always been a side where actually they're going to stay safe. And I think yesterday kind of proved that. They've shown that they can pick up results you know, in certain areas and they can take opportunities when they're presented with them. I think the last goal of yesterday's game proves that perfectly because Nathan Baxter was caught upfield. He'd come up for a corner to try and get a stoppage time equaliser for Bolton. Carlisle got the ball and that was it. They were breaking and they got the goal and they got exactly what they deserved. Again, through Gibson, as we've already said, he, he got all three goals yesterday and rightly so. I think ultimately Carlisle played really well. You can argue uh, some of the sort of decision-making from the referee, but I don't think anybody can argue that it was a it was a handball in the penalty area for Carlisle's first pen. Well, sorry, second penalty, the first one that they actually scored. Mm. So, yeah, ultimately, they could be really, really proud of their performance yesterday. Yeah, you mentioned about Nathan Batts the Bolton goalkeeper. Ian Everett was quite scathing, I think it's fair mm -hmm. to say, in his sort of post-match press conference. He sort of said there was no reason for him to be up from the corner. He felt confident in his own mind that the team could come back and obviously um, pull that around. But he also was quite sort of revealing and honest in his post-match interview, not just about the officials, but he said his team looked leggy. There was a lack of energy mm -hmm. um, and class about his team. And they, they just looked as though that they weren't really at their usual sort of standard. But, you know, you kind of mentioned about Carl. I think Paul Simpson's always quite an honest character. He always really mm -hmm. breaks down the game's well if you read his post-match interviews or listen to them, you know. He said some really good things. The discipline was outstanding, stuck to the task, you know, out of possession, in possession, they were excellent. And I think, you know, it was almost the perfect kind of away performance. It was everything that you need to do against a high-flying team that people think, you know, Bolton are and rightly think that they are. So it was almost like, you know, that they've gone with the game plan right from the word go. And from minute one to minute 90, it was exactly how Paul Simpson kind of saw it, which is, perfect for how they prepared and sort of analysed the game for, for what came ahead of them. Yes, maybe just without the own goal and the uh, yeah, penalty saving there. But yeah, 100%. And I think the thing is, Bolton now have to kind of just take a step back and think. Because when, at the start of the season, everybody, myself included, I'm sure many of you guys also thought that Bolton were going to be in or around that autom those automatic places. They're now seven points off it after 11 games. And I don't like looking at the table too early. It's, it's not really that important, but it is a good indicator. When you look at Portsmouth and Oxford, and we'll, I, I know we'll go on to their individual games later on, but they've had five wins in a row each now. Bolton have only won two of their last five with two losses and a draw in there. At some point, they're going to have to stop dropping as many points as they are if they want to be in and around those automatic places. And it's got to be sooner rather than later. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves too far out of touch. Yeah, I mean, that's something I, I, I can't really sort of disagree with. It is almost a little bit with Bolton as well that I haven't really seen them play at their best yet. I mean, obviously, mm. they had some impressive results at the start of the season. Obviously, you know, opening day, they obviously did beat sort of Lincoln 3-0. But Lincoln certainly weren't yeah. disgraceful in, in the game. I think Bolton certainly didn't probably come out of third gear. They had also another couple of results, didn't they, that were impressive. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, the 3-1 win against sort of uh, Fleetwood. They beat Cheltenham 3-0. And it's kind of since then, they've never really been able to kind of hit those heights. So you do almost feel like with Bolton, there's a little bit more to give, isn't there? 
100%. And I, like I say, it needs to happen pretty quickly. For example, that one against Lincoln on the opening game of the season, as much as I don't want to have to bring it up and, and talk about it. Yeah. We were kind of forced into it. Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. You know, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, Bolton, Bolton did win that game. They were the better side, yes, but they won because of two defensive errors from us from set pieces and an own goal. So, again, I've not really seen a clinical sort of title-chasing Bolton side yet this season. And I do worry for them that if things don't start to change quickly under Everett, then suddenly questions are going to have to be asked. I, I, I'm not saying that it's now, because obviously now is far too early. But soon enough, the the expectation of them being a title-chasing side at the start of the season could soon be sort of the pill that, that can kill them. Yeah, it certainly is going to be interesting to see how it sort of develops at Bolton over time. And many people may be a little bit surprised, like yourself, Charlie, that they haven't started as well as maybe people thought they would. One team that can't say that is Portsmouth, top of the table, 23 matches unbeaten, and they just keep on rolling, don't they? Still are the only team left unbeaten in League One, so they're in a league of their own in that respect. Two no winners yesterday against Port Vale, two goals for Colby Bishop, it was a much more straightforward home performance. So it wasn't a roller coaster of emotions like it was against Wickham on Tuesday night. The first goal is from um, sort of Connor Ripley trying to deal with a cross from Jack Sparks. Uh, Joe Rafferty drills it back in. Bishop, just as any good striker is, gets himself in a really nice position, flicking it in to the back of the net. He soon at his nose as he turns into the goal and he gets it on his foot. It's going to go in the net, which is exactly what was the case. His sports have went one the luck. But the second goal. Certainly up for debate in terms of the penalty given, of course. There was a lot of officiating decisions that were quite questionable throughout the league on the weekend. And this was possibly one of them because there did appear as though, according to Andy Crosby, that the Port Vale player, Coffee Bomber, was pulled first as Colby Bishop was trying to um, deal or trying to, you know, attack a cross that was coming in from the right-hand side. He was saying that Bomber got pulled and it meant he went down and the ball uh, struck his arm, which Andy Crosby denies it did. And it does actually look like it does hit his arm. So there is a genuine case there, to be fair. So there was a controversial penalty given there, but Portsmouth still, nonetheless, were deserving winners. Um, I kind of wanted to touch, Johnny, not just on the 23 games unbeaten, but the home sort of, you know, form of um, Portsmouth, you know, very much is a fortress, Fratton Park, this, this season. They are 12 unbeaten, seven this season, five from, from last year. We saw Plymouth last year, certainly Charlie will know, their home form was probably the reason why they won the league. I think they won a ridiculous amount. I think it was only Lincoln and another side, I can't remember who it was, that actually managed to beat Plymouth at home park. So can Portsmouth go the entire season at Fratton Park unbeaten? I mean, at the moment, it just looks like anything that gets thrown at them, they've just simply got an answer to it. It almost feels like, you know, that, that there's nothing that can be done to stop them at the moment. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, like you watched the game yesterday. I mean, Port Vale were on top the first half. They had uh, Ojo Norris, I think, Plant, Geraghty, he's a class player, they had chances. Portsmouth weren't great, but great sides know how to dig in, you know, come out the second half and then just, you know, went away with the game. And that's, you know, it's, you know, when you're at home like that as a side, there's two sides to it, isn't it? That they're, you know, the expectation of winning, but there's also that pressure. Of winning because everyone expects you to because you've done this unbeaten run and you know Port Vale always seem to start games off really well and you know if they get an early goal you know they they, they dig in and they, they you know they come away with a good result but Pompey have got so much you know 
depth. They play four five one. It's kind of, I guess, a bit different in League One football. Um, and they rely on Colby Bishop a lot up front with his goal scoring. The only thing I think could be an issue for them if he got injured and was out for a period of time. How would they replace him? What would they do? You know, because everything everything's going smoothly at the minute. And you know, when any football club, when things are going well and the momentum and the confidence, you don't have to do too much because it just naturally goes until something goes wrong. And if something goes wrong, how will they replace that? But that's just you know, that's just a conversation piece. But they 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 are class side. I mean, you know, like if they you know they they keep their squad together. Um, you know, they're solid defence. They don't give goals away. That They create chances. They, 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 you know, there's, they're a side that should, you know, easily be in the top two the way they're going. And I, I don't see that it's luck because they've had that momentum from last season. They've built and they've built and, you know, they believe in each other as a team. So you'd think that going ahead that they will, they'll be up there. Um, but, you know, it's... it's Fair play to him. You know, that's that's the way, you know, a, a good manager and, you know, a good setup works. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think with sort of Colby Bishop, I think that's a very, very good point that you sort of made. I mean, Cassini Yengi had been out for a little bit. He was sort of, or is getting close to sort of being in and around the sort of match day squad again. And I think with Colby Bishop, he just adds more than the goals. He's that real presence up front, really holds the ball up. John Massinho emphasised that his hold-up play is sort of as good as anybody in league one, he sort of said, and he is a player usually who does actually see defenders always seem to pull on him, sort of move him around like a rag doll. So, you know, he is, he is a very, very good player. And I think, you know, he's always in the right position to try and get on the end of crosses, particularly that first goal, emphasizing yeah. it and sort of talking about it again, when Joe Rafferty drills that ball in, he's in and around the six yard box, always thinking about sort of being the fox in the box or being that poacher and just sticking the ball in the back of the net. And it was a very good point you made about Port Vale, Johnny, because I saw them on Tuesday against Bristol Rovers. And, you know, whilst they obviously struggled after they went down to 10 men with, with Jesse Deborah getting sent off, they did start the game OK. You know, Rovers were, were, were good on the night. But one thing that was interesting was they were targeting sort of, you know, Harvey Vale, a, a left-back for, for Rovers, who isn't a left-back by trade. He is usually a sort of attacking midfielder winger. But, you know, they were sort of looking to just try and play high diagonal balls. Obviously, Ben Garrity, very good in the area. Had some good chances yesterday, actually, which I'll touch upon. But, you know, they, they are a decent side. I think they're very different to sort of how they played a little bit sort of under Daryl Clark. They kind of want to get the ball down a little bit more, sort of want to play. They are more counter-attacking side, it seems. Um, they obviously had Ethan Chislett back yesterday. I think it's probably their key player. Um, so, you know, they, they do tend to start games well. And obviously, you know, emphasising yesterday, they did have some decent chances. Yeah. Ben Garrity on strike of half time headed across just over the uh, goal of Will Norris's for Portsmouth. They obviously hit the post of Ojo, as you mentioned. Obviously, Alfie Devine went close with an effort from range. So, you know, Andy Crosby did mention they did have that sort of lack of, of being clinical um, in the game. But, of course, it's two away defeats in a row um, for Port Vale without scoring. And I think we'll, we'll touch on another side very much like this later on, obviously. But Port Vale very much at the moment don't really have that attacking focal point. You know, they are a team based a little bit on pace. They have plant up front. They had Chislett yesterday. And it is a team designed for counter-attacks. You know, yes, they do counter quite a lot. So I suppose it's, it doesn't really matter. It's a bit irrelevant. But I always just feel like when you've got, you know, you look at the team sheet, you've got a real number nine playing. And then you've got two sort of makeshift strikers. You know, who, who really is that that type yeah. of striker? And I think, you know, their height differentiates is, is a big thing. So I think 
you know, possibly the striker issue is something that Port Vale need to sort out. But they did, of course, sign Uche uh, Ikpiazu, of course, who is a, a person well known to the EFL and Port Vale fans. He's back for a second spell, so no doubt he will be in their lineup soon, as John Massino did say in the first half as well. As side were too slow and showed. No urgency. We'll then move on to the side directly below Portsmouth in the table in Oxford. They managed to beat Bristol Rovers 2-1 yesterday in the 12.30 kickoff. They were top only for a couple of hours until Portsmouth knocked them down. Um, of course, all three of us are going to be involved because there's three red cards to discuss in this game. Oxford had nine men. Bristol Rovers had ten men. There's Oxford one by two goals to one. Before we actually get on to the actual analysis of the game and what was said... The first of the red cards, obviously, is Giovanni Browns. Now, he was sent off for two yellow cards. The first one is a free kick. It's a foul inside the Oxford penalty area, which it was right to give from Simon Manor, the referee, who certainly I think is going to grab all the headlines from this, which is never a good thing for a referee. Um, and he books Giovanni Brown. And as Brown sort of curls the effort, once the free kick's given, he decides to book him. So... It's very, very harsh in that sense, I think. But, of course, it was something that was up for debate when we were discussing before we started recording this podcast, myself and Charlie. There's no complaints about the second yellow card in terms of, you know, going for a short ball, sticks his leg out. I think it's one of the Oxford players. It might be McGuay getting there first, knocking it past him, Brown clipping him. He knows he's going to get a second yellow card for that. So one of them, I feel like it's a bit of an injustice. Um, I'll go to Charlie first. That's my thoughts on Giovanni Brown's two yellow cards. How do you see it? Are you thinking differently or are we both on the same page? Because it's something it was up for debate, wasn't it, we were discussing off air? Yeah, I'd probably agree um, in terms of your comments on the first yellow card. The second yellow card, again, as well. I, I think the attacker um, for Oxford, I felt he won that yellow card because what he did was he specifically made sure... Giovanni Brown had basically already gone down and lunged in to try to get the ball. The ball had gone. The player could have quite easily just jumped over effectively mm. and gone on and potentially even had a one-on-one, -on -one, really, because they didn't see that there was that much defensive cover. But he, but he made sure to just leave his leg in there, obviously being smart enough to know that Giovanni Brown was already on a yellow, left it in there, and boom, second yellow comes out. I don't really think you can have any arguments. And I understand the sort of discussion on whether the first one was a yellow or not but Giovanni Brown as someone who is on a yellow cannot be lunging in like that you have to play with the card that you've been dealt he was already dealt with a yellow card so he can't go lunging in like that at the risk of another yellow if he'd have actually stopped and got the uh, other Bristol Rovers man on the other side of the attacker to try to sort of move around and make the tackle and then they could have risked the yellow card I'm not sure whether they were already on one or not but I don't believe they were so that would have been so much better than Giovanni Brown lunging in. I just think it was rash. It was silly. And But again, I think the attacker was really, really smart. It, it kind of boils down a little bit, doesn't it? That that second yellow card and challenge for Giovanni Brown, a player who don't often see go to ground. And it really did show, didn't it? I think very much, Charlie, it's the nail on the head there, Johnny, in terms of you, if you know you're on a booking, yeah. no matter if it's a right decision or not, you simply can't make a tackle like that. That that's just rule one hundred one, isn't it? You know, that, yeah. that and the position on the pitch being, like being that. smart, isn't it? It's being yeah. smart near the halfway. You kind of it's not even like bearing down on goal. It's a it's a, it's a daft one, but players get red mist, don't they? Things you know, pressure and all that stuff happens. But uh, I think you know the 
I hate to say, I think Oxford, you know, despite of that, you know, they they deserve to win the game. I think they, they are really, as much as it hates me as a Reading fan, they're really going so well at the minute. Yeah, they had two two sendings off at the end, but I think the game was won by then. You know, that that sending off just kind of, for, for Rovers just kind of finished it. You know, they, the, as I say, you know, we, we talked off air that the, the, the straight red for Stan Mills was one, wasn't it, that we were talking about? Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't see it as a straight red. Obviously, you know, from from TV. Me, I echo that. I echo that. It was a weird one. I saw the little bit of kicking out afterwards, a bit Beckham-like in the old days, but it wasn't. It didn't seem to be like even the player, the Ravens mm-hmm. player, didn't seem to be that fussed by it. Do you know, it was an odd one to get a straight red for. But he he does get back up very very quickly, so that is a very good point. And the player in question is sort of Sam Finley. I think the way he's, I think the referee has seen it. It's the way he's gone in in his own mind that's thought that's probably a little bit too high off the ground. That's probably why he's been sent off. But he does win the ball. It's a yeah. very clean tackle. He's just yeah. maybe slightly too far off the floor. But I still do agree. I don't think that has warranted a sort of straight red card. And to be fair, when I did sort of see it, I thought it was some sort of retaliation rather than the yeah. actual sort yeah. of tackle going in. So I kind of seen it back on the replay. I was a bit sort of mystified. But in the middle of all that, the first Oxford red card was Ocean Smith. Now, he was done for two yellow cards. So the first one was a challenge on a Rovers player. I think it might have been Sam Finley, if I remember rightly. Um, again, I thought that was a very soft yellow card. It was just a little clip, which sort of resulted in, in a booking. And then he gets then a second yellow card for doing something similar to what Giovanni Brown did. So I personally think it's not a yellow card. But if he's booked one player for it, he has to stay consistent and book the other player. So he's stuck to his word in that sense. But to be fair, Charlie, you know, we did discuss sort of off air before the podcast, didn't we, about this and saying bit wrong, bit of an injustice. The referees had an off day. But you did make the point. The players do know about these rules. It was very clear and stressed at the start of the season. Referees are going to clamp down on this. Yeah, absolutely. And at risk of repeating myself at the end of the day, it goes to the same point of no matter what you think about the first yellow, the second yellow, he can't be doing things like that. He can't be kicking the ball away when he's already on a yellow card. He's literally begging the referee to to, to give him a red card. And the referee's called his bluff. You just can't do it. The players know. We had a big thing at Lincoln a couple of weeks back where there was quite a few like that, sort of waving yellow card, uh, waving imaginary yellow cards and somebody getting a yellow for it. And uh, one of the substitute goalkeepers for Cheltenham, it was, wiping the ball and getting a yellow for that. No matter what you think of the new rules, no matter if you agree with them or just think they've been a little bit too draconian and just been quite daft, quite frankly, the rules are the rules. The players have to follow them. The players will have all been... Uh, had presentations by referees at the start of the season. The referees would have gone around every training ground. We know that. So why on earth are players continuing to make the same mistakes? I get they're human. I get they do it in the heat of the moment and frustration. But at some point, they have to learn. And I think as well, kind of both the the yellow card incidents, you know, they've only... I mean, Giovanni Brown has curled the board to the back of the net. It's not like a real sort of malicious boot or aggressive completely out of the ground or into the car park in Brown's case, because obviously, as we know, with Oxford, it's only got three stands, <laughs> nothing against them on that front. But even in particular, sort of Ocean Smith's, you know, it's it's a little kick away. It's not, you know, an aggressive sort of frustration one. So I think, again, I think that means it's sort of a little bit softer. But in terms of the game itself, um, sort of watching it, I think Rovers in the first half were a lot better than Oxford. You know, I think mm-hmm. 
Oxford were very much on the back foot. They scored a goal through Billy Bowden, an ex sort of Bristol Rovers player, where Rovers fans will know you cannot get him on his left foot. Josh Grant kind of slides in. You've got to let Billy Bowden commit first as to where he's going, then slide in. Don't slide in first because he's quick and he's smart enough to know I'm just going to go past the challenge and strike. It's a great finish. And obviously, Oxford did go in front. Probably a little bit against her on a play in the first 15 minutes and over the course of the first 45. And I just sensed after the first 45 that we weren't really going to get anything. I just didn't think it was our day. We had some really good chances. Aaron Collins missed some, some good opportunities. We've got some really good errors. It's a really good attacking display. It was a shame the red card happened for Giovanni Brown. I think it was about sort of 25 minutes left. 1-0. The game's evenly poised. It was a good advert, good contest at that point. Oxford were coming back into it. That's some really good chances in the game. They changed their approach. They started to press. They started to move the ball through the middle a little bit more, find gaps beyond our defence. And it was just a shame that the referee kind of sent three players off because I think if it was 11 v 11, it would have been a real spectacle. It could have been a result that could have been... A, you know, any of a scenario, draw, Rovers win, Oxford win. But, you know, from a Rovers point of view, I'm very happy with the performance. Just a shame that Stanley Mills wasn't sent off a little bit um, earlier in the games. I think we would have got something. But no doubt with Oxford, they will certainly will feel like, as, as sort of Johnny says, that they'll no doubt um, deserve the victory. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use the service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. We move on then to Charlton 2, Blackpool 2. Michael Appleton, of course, faced against his old side. He's now the Charlton boss. He faced Blackpool, of course, the side who sacked him uh, last season on their way to dropping in into League One from the Championship. Blackpool were tuning up in this game. Jordan Rhodes and Karamoko Dembele scoring both the goals for Blackpool. They looked like they were going to leave the Valley and make the long journey back with all three points in the bag. But Alfie May and Corey Blackett-Taylor in great form at the moment for Charlton, extending Michael Appleton's unbeaten run to five matches, which means he's taken nine points from a possible 15 available. And if you include Jason Pierce's win against Fleetwood, they are now six matches unbeaten. Johnny, um, certainly a better start than Lee Johnson, who, of course, is a fairly fresh new manager into a role in League One. It does seem as though, obviously, Charlie will know a lot about Michael Appleton sort of in his Lincoln days. Um, we're really starting to see very early on he's got to grips with this team and got them playing in a right formula you know nine points from 15 pretty good return to start off with 
Yeah, definitely. I know, you know, that game yesterday, you know, you're two down after 70 minutes. Jordan Rhodes is kind of reborn <laughs> as a striker, isn't he? Like, geez, like he's scoring loads of goals again. But, you know, I don't think under Holden they would have come back in that game the way they did. There's He's got them fighting for each other as a team, you know, home. You know, yeah, Blackpool, as we know, can be, you know, they're a hard side to play against. Um, Corey Blackett, Taylor's finish was probably uh, one of the best goals I've seen for a while. It that was, was absolutely wasn't it? It was outstanding. But, yeah, but like, he obviously has installed that in the team is, you know, don't give up, you, you know, that you're still in the game with like 10 minutes to go. And you can see once they got the first goal, the confidence and the energy and everything else that he's installed into them. So I think, he, you know, it's still early days. They've got, again, I was looking again, you know, who they've got next. They've got Reading next at home. So that's definitely three points for them. Um, <laughs> Lincoln away, Bolton at home, Wigan away. Again, you know, aside from us, joking-wise, those three games are going to be big ones for them. It'll be interesting to see how they go against three top sides in the league, where he is at after that. You know, if they pick up two good results out of those three, you're kind of going, hold on. You know, as a, as a manager, a new manager into that club that we, you know, that you said, Matt, previously about holding it, wasn't wasn't sure what he was trying to do or what he was trying to play or what it was. And it's still early days for, for Appleton, but I think he, he's, he's doing a very good job. Um, the style of football, whether I, I, you know, I'm not a Charlton fan, but I think as a fan in any club, results count and, and you know, battle and spirit like he had yesterday is huge. Yeah, and they do have that battling spirit already emphasised and sort of demonstrated in his first game when they were 1-0 down away to Stevenage, ended up getting a point. They actually started yesterday with Slobodan Tedic, Alfie May and Miles Lieber and all in the side, but it was May and Corey Blackett-Taylor who's uh, sort of wonderful equaliser, really stole the show. His child got a, a very positive sort of 2-2 draw against Blackpool. And and, and I think kind of emphasising Appleton, you know, you can... Clearly see what the identity is a little bit more about Charlton. They're creating so many more chances, you know. We know it's probably not quite the squad Appleton would, would like. He does favour younger players, obviously, as we discussed when he was sort of linked with the job um, in terms of what he's done previously. You know, you look at Blackpool last year, it was a real young sort of team he was trying to get together, but it was just, you know, not for the level and they weren't good enough. And I think he'd probably admit that himself. There were some mistakes in there. But even sort of Charlie can attest, you know, when he was at Lincoln, players kind of came in, you know, Brennan Johnson, Alex Palmer, you know, real top, top players. Mm. You know, he's got a very good understanding of the loan market and the youth systems all around the country. So there's some hidden gems in there. And if you want anybody in League One to probably find it, maybe Michael Appleton is your man to probably get that, maybe more than sort of um, other managers. And speaking of, obviously, Lincoln, we're going to move on next to Peterborough 2, Lincoln nil. There's only one man we can discuss that with. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, Peterborough 2, Lincoln nil. Posh remains six matches unbeaten. They've had three wins out of those six. The third of them coming yesterday in the win against Lincoln. They beat Bristol Rovers and Cheltenham prior to it. Of course, it was an emotional day for Darren Ferguson. Of course, his uh, mother, uh, Lady Cathy Ferguson, uh, passed away at the age of 84 on Friday. And, of course, certainly emotional for him. And it was fitting as well. The second goal scored in around about the 84th minute by Joel Randall, who actually had a sweet moment himself, scoring his first ever league goal as a Peterborough player. We'll talk about Peterborough first, Charlie. Then we'll go on to the Lincoln point of view. Posh, six unbeaten, three draws, three wins. Three of those wins are at home, all with a clean sheet in there. Are they back to their best? No. Which is really scary. <laughs> I'll be honest. 
Peter obviously had a good bit of sort of turnover in the summer. They, they've kept some of their kind of spine and some key players, but they've also they also lost a few and have made a few signings. And I wasn't really expecting them to be really that high up this year. I, I sort of thought that they just might struggle to actually make playoffs. Now I am really scared because yesterday they were they were good. They're okay, you know. But they weren't really anything special. I think as good as they were, Lincoln handed them opportunities at times, especially in the second half. Um, and I just think there's so much room to grow for them in that team, which, as I say, is a really, really scary prospect for anybody else that's looking to try and get into the top six. Because for the fact that people are already in there and I think they've got room to grow, Sky really is the limit for them this season. And I, I really do think that they're going to reach the upper echelons that they expect of themselves each year. I mean, to be fair, you know, in the sort of wins they had against Cheltenham and sort of Bristol over state, Cheltenham you could sort of disclude because they did have two mm. players sent off. So it was all obviously going to be a battering. But even against Bolton away, they created so many chances. And it should have probably been a game they should have won because, mm. of course, Bolton did go down to 10 men. They did have a, a sort of a lot of chances. And I, I do sort of agree the fact that, you know, a little bit like Bolton, they probably haven't played to their best. And when Peterborough are at it, they probably are on their day the best football inside to watch. You'd mm. arguably sort of say, of course, it's up for debate. But we'll obviously, of course, move on to, to Lincoln. Um, I've seen Lincoln a few times this season. And, you know, what I'll say about the team is, yes, there might be a few strikers. So no Tyler Walker, no Ben House at the moment to sort of start matches. But Rico Hackett, Hakeem Adelakan, a lot of pace in that team. Obviously, Mide Shadipo's just signed on a short-term deal. So no doubt when he gets up to scratch, can hit his pump. He could be someone that can be a, a real sort of big key player again. You know, he did have a, a decent spell last year, I think we can sort of safely say. Um, but it, it just feels like a little bit like kind of Port Vale. You know, you're playing with pace, but it doesn't really feel like you're utilising them, not consistently getting them in the game enough. You know, I mean, you know, you know, with Mark sort of Kennedy sides where they're going to be at home very attacking. Defensively, they're going to be away from home. So they're, they're very much chalk and cheese. You can't compare the two from home and away. But, you know, kind of moving on to the pace element, you don't really see that. They're, they're creators. And you just kind of think, well, who's really the striker? That kind of gets a little bit lost at the moment from what I see. I mean, you you see them in the flesh for, you know, every week, home and away. Is that a fair assessment or is there a little bit more to it than that? I think it's a fair assessment on kind of the base and, but I, I, I do think there is kind of more context to it. I think, first of all, our two wingers, if you so we play a 3 4 3, 5, sort of 2 3, however you kind of want to, to call that formation. Our two wide players are often sort of tucked in as inside forward. So, what we've specifically done a lot this year is, for example, have Rico Hackett on the right wing and Danny Mandroyo on the left wing. So the left winger is the one with the right foot, the right winger is the one with the left foot. The idea being they can cut inside quite often and create something there, whether that means taking on a shot themselves from kind of the edge of the box or whether that means trying to then play the ball forward to a striker or to each other. Now, you've already alluded to the fact strikers is not a conversation that Lincoln fans want to really be having at the minute. Because we don't have any. They are all injured. It has, it's just one of those really unfortunate situations. We came in after the transfer window saying, wow, this is the best squad in terms of depth we've had in ages. And two weeks later, we have no strikers. It happens. But it's really, really frustrating. And the, the thing with the pace. Now, in terms of kind of us trying to move the ball forward, our left centre-half, Sean Rowan, who, who actually played left wing back on Saturday because uh, we kind of went a bit more of a defensive formation, as you'd expect, going away to, going away to posh. Um, 
yeah, Sean Rowan has is up there in terms of our passes into the final third. Now, the reason for that is, is because he he's able, obviously, a left-footed, uh, left centre half. He's able just to get the ball straight down into that half space, which is then, you know, where where you'd expect a Danny Mandroyo or somebody like that to pick up the ball. Problem is with that is by that point you're then already in the half space and you you're not really out wide. So then, if you are running, you're kind of having to run further out wide to the point where you're then running away from the goal, or you have to run obviously towards the goal. Where at that point you've then got defenders coming at you, so there isn't really the opportunity to utilise the pace as much as we'd want. In terms of getting in behind, it's something we do try to do, but what we struggle with at the minute is the out ball. I, I notice it so much on Saturday where we we boot the ball great, but without having Lars Sorensen because he was out injured on Saturday for whatever reason we don't know. He got injured in the game against Leighton Orient. He went down and came off on Tuesday night. So without him, because he's always perfect for picking up that ball when it's booted long by a, a Lucas Jensen or a Sean Rowan or something like that. But without having that, we found sort of Ethan Hamilton having to push out to get that. And sometimes he'd win it, sometimes he wouldn't because he was starting from a deeper position. Then if you'd have maybe a Hakeem Adelican trying to run over to get that. To be fair to Hakeem, we weren't expecting to see him at all in the Lincoln shirt again as of, you know, the start of the season. We weren't expecting to see him. He came in because... You know, realistically, we had no other choices. I don't mean to sound harsh to the guy, but he he knows exactly his position in the club. He came in, he's done an okay job, a six out of ten every game. He's been nice and played the simple passes. But the problem is, is he's been made to play 70 to 90 minutes a game for what is now six, seven, I think eight games in 24 days we've played, something like that. So he's had to play 70-ish minutes in all of them. And he didn't really have a strong pre-season, he didn't really have a pre-season at all. So match fitness and levels are dropping considerably to the point where we weren't really fighting for those balls that were being booted long on Saturday. And it cost us. The first half, we were really good. We were positive. We were energetic. We got forward. Second half, we just looked lost in that final third. And I think we maybe should have made the substitutions earlier than we did. We made them in the 67th minute. For me, that was too late. By that point, obviously, we were already 1-0 down. But by that point, all of the attackers were void of ideas were, were dead energetically um, and we'd already missed two or three opportunities where actually they could if somebody had fresher legs we could have done something I just feel like the out balls are kind of the issue at the minute and we're having to play through the thirds which is all well and good because you can do that at home to you know like a Cheltenham like we did the week before but trying to do that away at Peterborough you're going to struggle to do that for a full 90 minutes I completely agree about the point with sort of Lassa Sorensen sort of for the output. I think if I sort of remember rightly, I think sort of one of the goals for the the, the game against Chat, I think it might have been the second one. It all kind of stemmed mm-hmm. from a ball going out towards sort of Sorensen's side and yep. he kind of then played it off it. So it very much, I think that is a very, very good bit of analysis and something I think that that is something that you certainly have to keep in mind of when you do sort of play Lincoln. And Mark Kennedy kind of back at your comments actually did say um, there were good moments. He's Please, they were in the positions rather than not being there. So, obviously, mm. you know, it's just probably a lot of the fans don't really want to read into that because there was no shots on target, which um, obviously is, is is a little bit sort of disappointing. What would you sort of make of those comments just quickly? Uh, I definitely agree. Um, Mark Kennedy wasn't very pleased with the decision-making yesterday, and I would very much agree with that. There are a couple of times where Rico Hackett, for example, specifically could have shot earlier and just didn't seem like he didn't want to shoot. He wanted to pass it into the net, but you, can, you just can't do that. 
especially, you know, like you said, when you're away at posh, sometimes you've just got to take the shot. Uh, Danny Mandroya, for example, gave the ball away for, for their first goal. Really poor decision-making. But yeah, I agree. I will disagree with the shots on target, though. Uh, I was having this conversation with, with Gary oh, this okay. morning. Right. Yes, technically we had zero shots on target. We had one that hit the crossbar. Obviously, I know they don't count for shots on target. But we also had one, well, two that were blocked by players in the penalty area. To me, they should be shots on target, but the statisticians disagree with me. That's a can of worms there. To be fair, I'll admit defeat on this one and say that there are some shots on target. But again, it's always sometimes it depends on yeah. what sort of sites you sort of see. We'll move on as we go to Leighton Orient 2, Reading 1. Another away game. And obviously, I think Reading fans know what's coming, don't know. Another defeat. Um, there, of course, for Letting Orient, it was very emotional. Actually, just before I will say, uh, just to mention, we do send condolences to Darren Ferguson's um, sort of family for his mother sort of passing away as well, sort of emphasizing that. And also, as well, we do send our sort of condolences to Derek Reynolds, who passed away. Of course, Leighton Orient did play Lincoln on Tuesday. The game was abandoned because of Derek Reynolds falling unwell, or sorry, feeling unwell during the match, and obviously, subsequently. Um, sort of passing away as a result. He was sort of someone who was involved in sort of the operations on a match day for the club. And obviously it was a nice tribute as sort of a wreath was laid by both Reading and by Leighton Orient, of course, yesterday uh, to remember Derek Reynolds, who passed away at the age of 74. We do wish his family uh, sort of all the best in their condolences from everybody at the Real EFL. On the pitch, of course, they got the victory on an emotional day, winning 2-1. Um, Johnny, another away defeat. For Reading, obviously, it's getting worse and worse. There was a lot of sort of, um, don't want to call it abuse, trying to find another word, personal grievances to some players. Yesterday, obviously, there was a lot of, you know, you're not fit to wear the shirt. You know, from what you saw of the scenes, was it certain digs towards certain players? Or was it more just a general message that this team is simply sort of in Reading fans' eyes, just not good enough and one that's really not going to get out of the mess it's sort of in at the moment, it feels like? Jeez, how long have you got, mate? I mean, it's it's you got a lot of time. I, <laughs> I, there's there's two parts to it. Like you know, the, there's the off the field stuff. You know, the, the the sell before we die campaign, and 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 fans are frustrated because the owner is just absolutely clueless. He's not having any involvement with the club, the wages issue, the tax issues. People get frustrated, you know, and you can see the ninety second minute goal the way we did where button flapped across and you know, it's two, one, you take a point, you go, yeah, that's all right. We do that. People's frustrations just boil over. Everyone's fed up with everything that's going on at the club. We tried to make sure that it wasn't aimed at the players because there's a lot of young players there that, you know, are doing their best in really, really bad circumstances. And it was only the young players that actually fronted up and stood there. Certain senior players, um, didn't and I don't think a lot of Reading fans are impressed by that you know these young lads are 18 19 years of age they're doing their best in really bad circumstances yeah the results are not great whatever uh Sellers came over and apologized again yep he's the manager he's doing what he's doing he needs to change his approach he needs to do different but that's where we are as a club you know you've got some positives there like you know Don Ballard it's good He's, he's getting better week by week. He hit the post um, and then Bindon scored his first ever goal in professional football. Positive. Um, Sam Hutchinson got injured in the warm-up. Bus driver wasn't available to take his place on the bench. You know, we can, you know, it's, 
it's it's hard. It's, it's, you, know, you have to laugh because, like, you know, it's 18, 18 games now away from home. We haven't, you know, we haven't won. Um, but now one of the four teams in the top four tiers to not get a point away from home this season. Us, mm. Sheffield United, Tranmere, Sutton United. Sutton United made up for it at home, but fair play. Um, look, I, it's 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 really hard. It's really really hard for all Reading fans. You know, you've seen the the tennis ball protest last week. We've got a march the Portsmouth game at the end of the month. Um, we want this clown out of the club. Um, you know, other clubs have been in similar positions. It's horrible. Uh, you know, wages are having to be paid by other people pretty much because he doesn't want anything to do with the club anymore. Um, and it's not fair on these young lads. You know, the young lads that want to play for the club and wear the blue and white shirt and do their best and they're trying their best. And I've seen articles from The Athletic about what's gone on behind the scenes, about what they're having to put up with. Um, and I feel sorry sorry for them. Um, you know, it it's not right. It's not right as a fan of any football club. You know, the tribute to Derek was brilliant. That's a positive. That's what football's about as a community, forgetting about who we support and whatever else. Um that's where we are as a team, you know, to be bottom of the championship now, bottom of League One. Um, but our, the future of the club is more important than matches for us at the minute. We just need to survive. We need to find our identity again. We need to find owners that want to be involved in the club, that care. Um, I would never knock these young lads doing what they do on the pitch. Senior pros, as being a goalkeeper, button stuffed up for Northampton in the week. He stuffed up yesterday. But his confidence is probably shot like a lot of people at the minute because, you know, the, the fear of not getting your, your wages paid at the end of the month, again, affects your mental health. You know, like whatever job you do in life, um, footballers, all the background people. Um, yeah. But like Orient, you know, taken aside from, from, from my misery, fair play to Orient. You know, it, it, you know, it was a, it was a perfect result for them as a, as a send-off for Derek. So look, I take that as a, you know, a good thing, you know, and we we go on to our next away defeat, and the next one, and the next one. <laughs> nice to know you're ever the eternal optimist there. But I suppose you know you said you're not laughing, but you're not crying. So I suppose there is a a, a silver yeah, line. Not there. on camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Just see you wipe the tears away just before you came yeah, on air. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it, it does make you think. Obviously, given what's happened in non-league, sort of Southend and Scunthorpe have been saved. They have been bought. Obviously, you just hope it's the, it's the same. For Red and it probably does beg the question actually, is Ruben Sayers got the hardest job in any club in the EFL? But you know, as you mentioned, take nothing away from Warwick 71 percent possession there yesterday, over two on the XG front. They really are now looking like the team that they were last year that sort of stormed to the League Two title. We'll move on. Cheltenham one, Derby one. Finally, hey. scored a league goal. And unfortunately, <laughs> it is Derby the side who are the team that have conceded against them, Rob Street. Put Cheltenham in front, and then there would be an equaliser from Curtis Nelson. That would mean that uh, Derby would come away from the Cotswolds with a point. And my goodness me, are they unhappy about that? But we will talk about Cheltenham first of all, Charlie. Obviously, they have been very open at the back. You would have seen them last week, no doubt. They're very much fresh in your mind. To be honest, there's a lot of adjectives, sort of a lot of hyperbole you can use to describe Cheltenham. One word I'll certainly say is hopeless. Um, Daryl Clark's obviously got a lot of affection and affiliation to, to obviously myself, given he was, you know, Bristol Rovers manager. So I'll always see how well he's done. He's done well at sort of clubs he's been at, maybe barring Walsall. 
I quite like the appointment in terms of what he's got. It's a very messy squad. Good point yesterday against Derby, given his start against Fleetwood was not the best one. Well, I'm definitely not going to use the word hopeless for them yesterday because they finally scored. Yeah, um, <laughs> that feels like that, a win. So we'll just we'll give yeah, Chatham exactly. a little more credit. That's I was going to say, give, 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 give them another couple of points on the league table, as far as I'm concerned. No, they uh, they they definitely celebrated that goal. They uh, that was what 22 hours in the making, I do believe. 22 hours of football in the league without scoring. I mean, it's. It's an unwanted, horrible record, but they're rid of it now and people can stop talking about the goalless Cheltenham, which is, I think, all the fans really want. Uh, yeah, in terms of Cheltenham, I thought they, I thought they were good yesterday. Um, they had actually a couple, of, a couple of solid chances. I think Derby, as much as I don't want to take away from Rob Street and Cheltenham for scoring the goal, I think it was, it was really, really sloppy at the back from Derby to give the ball away. But on the flip side of that, really good press from Cheltenham. So whichever side you want to fall on that, this, this obviously is kind of both. The Derby fans are going to see it as a goal given away. The Cheltenham fans are going to take that, they'll take it and run. I don't really think they care what people say. It's a goal. Um, so, yeah, really, really positive for them. And obviously, yeah, like you say, Derby then uh, equalised with, with Nelson. It was it was off a rebound, a header from a yard out. He certainly couldn't have missed it. And I felt really, really sorry for uh, the Cheltenham keeper, Luke, Luke Southwood, because I thought he had an absolutely immense yeah. game yesterday. So many incredible saves, some really good reflex saves, some double saves. It was just a shame that the goal that went in, he literally could not have done anything about it. It was a rebound that ricocheted up and, you know, Curtis Nelson's always going to be heading that into the net, isn't he? It's just, it was a real shame, but I think full praise should definitely go to Luke Southwood yesterday. And as far as I'm concerned, he was he was my man of the match in the for, for both sides. Yeah, well done, Luke Southwood for sort of the, the saves he made. But sort of seeing a lot of the social media comments, um, certainly on X, uh, formerly Twitter, of course, it's still very much hard for me to get used to actually saying that. <laughs> a lot of Derby fans really starting to lose patience with Paul Ward. A lot of them saying, you know, very much the sort of lines of I'm still not sure what he's doing in the job and he's using excuses. Maybe is he starting to feel the second course? He's in a different environment, a lot more pressure at Derby getting out of League One than he was at Rotherham. So after just over a year in charge, maybe is the heat getting turned on Paul Warren. Time will tell. We'll move on then to Stevenage, who took on Wigan yesterday. That saw two red cards, one for each. It saw Stevenage beat Wigan by a goal to nil. Stevenage, of course, have had two straight defeats, losing to Oxford, their only home loss this season last weekend, and to Bolton away. They got back to win away yesterday, beating Wigan with a goal uh, from the penalty spot from Jamie Reid. Wigan, Johnny, lost four in a row. Bristol Rovers, Portsmouth, Burton and Stevenage. Two of them games they finished with 10 men against Portsmouth and Stevenage. Lost four in a row. Concerning for Wigan at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was looking at stats. Charlie White has only scored one goal since 19th of August, when I think he had four or five at the start of the season. Mm. And it's, it's the pressure. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I didn't, I didn't that's mean not, to bring that's that up. Not, that's not an achievement, mate. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah, like, you know, because they did start off so well. And you're looking now, I'm like, but we, we've talked about Stevenage a lot on here and about Steve Evans, again, another Marmite figure of a manager. But mm. he gets them playing the way they do and that you know especially when you you know you give a goal away that early that we talked about again off air that the, the the second yellow for Callum Lang again I, I I'm I'm not sure I, I I don't know exactly 
what the ref saw for that one either, to be honest. I see challenges like that all the time. Um, but you give Stevenage an advantage like that, they're so solid, they're so organised that it plays into their hands. And and they do what they do. You know, it's 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 a machine. Um, is it pretty? No. Is it is it exciting to watch? It works. And as a Stevenish mm. fan, I'd rather, you know, be in their position than ours. You know, that's, you know, Wigan had a chance. I think Josh McGuinness had a chance towards the end to, to get a goal back. But, um, yeah, I, the pressure's on Wigan. I think, again, I was looking at, you know, they've got Peterborough at home, Exeter away, Oxford at home. Another three games that you're looking at going, they're, they're three top games, three mm. top sides. I know Exeter are struggling. We'll go on to them later on. But, you know, there, there's something that could go one way or the other for him as a manager, couldn't it? You know, if they, if they don't get any, you know, don't pick up points in those three, the pressure's on him huge. I know they've had the points deduction as well at the start, but it's how fickle football is, isn't it? The momentum can change so much. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we, we touched on Carlisle earlier, how they sort of play to their strength. Stevenage are probably the team. It's so clear what their identity is in League One. You know exactly how they're going to play. They're going to be direct. It's not pretty, but it works. It's effective. It's what they have at their disposal. And that's what's a, a good sign of a team, isn't it? Yeah. It worked for Wickham, didn't it, getting out of League One? Not saying Stevenage is going to do the same, but obviously the way they're going, they're going to be very much of that ilk. Uh, Shrewsbury won Northampton nil yesterday. Much, much needed win for Shrewsbury. Of course, they've had goalless worries themselves, not as big as Cheltenham. It was their first goal actually in six yesterday. Daniel Udo with the late goal got in the win against Northampton, who are no strangers to sort of losing by the old goal in League One this season. Matt Taylor freely admitted that they rode their luck. There's still concerns for me for Shrewsbury sort of Moving forward, you know, they're, they're very much changing their style under Taylor to what they were under Cotter, even though they have the same sort of system. It's a lot of a, a younger squad. I think Luke Lee, he's sort of leaving a real sort of big blow for them going to Wickham. I think he was a real integral player for sort of the last two seasons. Um, there just seems to be a lot of sort of teething problems, still a lot of issues at, at Shrewsbury. I don't want to take away that they got a victory because it was much due. I think it was their first one since August, but there is still... Big, big issues for Shrewsbury. We only scored, by the way, their fifth goal. They're the second lowest scorers after you-know-who. But, yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be, for me, that that sort of thinking for Shrewsbury that they're going to really rise up the table. I'm just still not convinced on them at all. And I think they've still got a lot of work to do. But for Northampton, of course, they they got a good win against Reading in the week, as we know. But, you know, they're, they're certainly a tough side to, to break down. So, obviously, it was one of them days where everything just fell into place. For Shrewsbury in the final game from the weekend, it was Exeter nil, Barnsley one. Exeter have lost now their last four. Feels inevitable a little bit maybe to some that they were going to slide. Barnsley away from home though, Johnny. Outstanding. Five wins from their opening six. The only side they haven't won against was Bristol Rovers. They've beaten Wigan away, Cheltenham away, Northampton away, Cambridge away and Exeter away. And they've only conceded in one of those wins to Northampton. I mean... They're the highest goal scorers in the league, or one of them anyway. They create chances. They've got a very good team. It feels like a good balance. If we got Barnsley more consistent, they'd be right up there and guaranteed top six for me. I'm, I'm not sure what you think on that. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that, that was a you know, smash and grab yesterday. I think the, the old term is usually because Exeter had, like, they hit uh, Dimitri Mitchell. I think had hit mm. the post, hit the bar. Um, Exeter had the chances, but 
uh, John McAtee come on 89th minute, scored the winner. They celebrated by the bus catching fire on the way home. I mean, what, how, what a way to go. <laughs> it's a real life only fought in horses episode, isn't it? <laughs> it really is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it? It was. But, like, again, like we've talked about, you know, the inconsistency of Barnsley, I think, this season. We were kind of expecting a bit more, I think, from them. But when you talk about their away form, that's huge. I mean, you know, Exeter is not an easy place to go. But I think the problem for Exeter, and I think Caldwell said himself, they need to regroup over the international break. They're on a bad run, but they they don't have the depth that a lot of the top top sides have in this league. You know, I mean, they, they've got a good quality first choice team, but when players are out injured, that's when they're struggling. I think that's what you can see now with them. Um, you know, so for Barnsley, I, I just think, you know, that that's, it's a, it's a momentum thing. Again, we talk about it in football all the time, isn't it? You know, that to get that result last minute and then, you know, I say they, they could have even equalised after that. But yeah, I, I yeah, I, I, it'd be interesting to see where they end up. I'm not sure about Barnsley. I still don't. They're like a Marmite team. We talked about Marmite managers. I, I don't know where they're mm. going to end up. Is it top six, mid-table? <laughs> Because it's it's hard to pick with them. I don't you think, Matt, it's, it's watching them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've seen them a few times this season and they, they can be devastated going forward. They can attack in great numbers, great pace. Devante Cole probably is in the sort of yeah. best form that he's been in for a long, long time. I think Callum Styles, um, Herbie Kane, two very good midfielders on the day. I think the wing-back play a big, big part in sort of how they play, you know, in particular. I mean, you know, the two... Uh, sort of wing-backs they, they played yesterday um, for the game against Exeter. One, of course, was Cadden, who I remember seeing for Forest Green in League Two was, was so good. You know, you need wing-backs to put good balls into the box, and he very much is that, you know, they can get assists. And obviously as well, Corey O'Keefe, another ex-Forest Green Rovers player. So they're two very good fullbacks. I like the way their team set up, that back three. You know, they've obviously got a nice protection in midfield. It's a nice balance, nice spine. And I think that there is a team very much capable and, you know, you think about Exeter not having good depth. Exeter, uh, Barnsley very much got the opposite. I think their depth is very, very good. Yeah, yeah. So I do think that they are a team that will stay in and around the, the sort of top six. So whilst the results are done in Dustin, we're not done yet because there's still one more game to come at the weekend. It comes tomorrow as Burton take on Cambridge from the Ferretti Stadium. Um, Charlie, from the Burton point of view, four unbeaten, two draws, two wins. They have turned it around a little bit. A lot of people were maybe questioning Dino Momorit a little bit. I always felt as if I was a Burton fan, I'd have a little bit of faith in him. I do maybe feel sometimes at the start of the season, they were probably playing a little bit against what I think they're capable of playing. Maybe now we're starting to see it because they've had some, had some good, they have had some good wins. Port Vale away, the first of them. Then they beat Wigan at home when they did go down to 10 men. So, you know, it does maybe look as though Burton are just slightly turning a corner a little bit. Yeah, there was definitely no need for panic stations. I think on paper, Burton are a really, really solid League One team. Some of the players they've got, you know, Sam Hughes in defence, we all know how capable he is, both at defending and also at scoring. That's where he always seems to score against Lincoln whenever we play against them. <laughs> really, really good player. And then, obviously, we know sort of the rest of the kind of ability that they've got in the team. So I don't really think there was ever the, the kind of massive kind of worry, or, or there shouldn't have been anywhere. I, I know there was, but I don't think I felt like that would have been just a little bit too soon. Uh, and yeah, like you say, the, the four unbeaten now potentially can make it five on uh, 
on Monday night, t- tomorrow night, you know. Um, it's always a, a, an interesting one to have sort of Burton versus Cambridge as the Monday night football fiction, but, you know, he, <laughs> it aged their own and all that. But, yeah, I think if... You're really if, selling it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be a proper advert for League One football. <laughs> um, yeah, look, if Burton can pick up one point, if they can pick up three points, as you know, they, they're bridging that gap to the relegation zone, and that's all they need at this stage. If they can just be lower mid-table rather than in the relegation zone from January, I think they'll all be quite happy. Then they can do whatever business they want to do in January and try and push on from there, like they did last year. Obviously, last year they were in the relegation zone in January, and then look how look how that went for them. They managed to stay up, you know, reasonably comfortably in the end. Mm. So, I think at the minute it's just about picking up the results where they can. And I think Cambridge is the perfect opportunity for them to do that. Yeah, you talk about Burton being four unbeaten. Johnny, Cambridge, four without a win. Two losses, two draws. The heaviest of the defeats came in their last game against Barnsley. They started off very, very well, didn't they? They were sort of top of the table on a couple of match days, weren't they? Um, Obviously, they were on Sky when they played Red, and I thought they were really impressive that night, actually. Just faded away a a little bit. but, you know, I think with Cambridge, you talk about how Burton have had a lot of churn over the last couple of years. Cambridge's team has been very, very settled over the last few years. They've got a lot of, you know, decent combinations, particularly down the sort of, you know, wide areas. Bennett and Brophy, you know, obviously you've looked sort of previously. I think this season we've seen, you know, Danny Andrew link up quite well um, sort of with the wingers he's had sort of on his side. So, you know, they'll certainly go there and fancy their chance because they are a side quite capable of, of going anywhere in this division and getting a result. I think that that's something you can't put past Cambridge. No, and, and like we said earlier, they are the Monday Night Sky football experts for <laughs> League One now, aren't they? That's two games live. They must have some sort of special deal or something. But like, we talked about them, like, you know, you know they, they played us. They had players come off the bench that can change the game for them. They're having, a, they're having a wobble at the minute. But again, you have to be realistic with the squad that they've got and the depth that they've got where they're at as a club. It's so easy in this league, any any league in the you know championship, league one, league two, to get on a bad run. Something has to change. You know, one result can change it, can't we? We've talked about the teams through this so far this season, bad runs, then all of a sudden they get a result. They go on to, you know, four or five games, three wins, two draws. Cambridge can do that again. It's just that, you know, they're in a bit of a, you know, a rough situation at the minute. And tomorrow's kind of that sort of a game where, you can see either side winning it. It's that sort of uh, I don't think particularly say there's a favourite in it. Um, and and I, I'd back Cambridge for this one. I think I, you can see them winning this 2-1, to be honest. I think they, they're due a result, and this could be the start of it again for them. You just said your prediction, Johnny. Charlie, what are you going for? I'm going to go for a 3-2. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm going to go Ooh. for a 3 2 4. And there's the question. I'm actually going to go for Burton. Oh, um, I, yes. I'm, I'm, going to go, I'm going to go against you, Johnny. Um, you really are excited for this game, aren't you? To be fair, it wasn't just back. sarcasm. Fair play. I think, I think there's going to be, wrong. I think there's going to be quite a, a few goals, actually. The reason I'm saying that is because I think both of their systems actually go against each other in the fact that Cambridge with a sort of 4-2-3-1 and they've got the ability on the wing, as you as you mentioned, Matt, and then Burton playing actually a bit narrower often, playing like a, sometimes it's a 4-4-2 or 4-2-2, it can be called, you know, they're, they're lowest in the league in terms of crosses by a substantial amount as well compared to the likes of Cambridge when you're looking at that kind of metric. 
I just feel like they're going to kind of complement each other to make a really, really good game of League One football tomorrow night. So it's yeah, nil-nil then. <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> well, to be fair, obviously I've asked for your prediction, so I'm going to. I'm just going to say Burton's just going to shade it, so I'm going to go with 2-1 uh, for Burton Albion. So that brings us to an end for week 10 in League One. My thanks goes to regular voices ever, Johnny, and obviously debutant Charlie, no doubt a, a smashing debut. I think uh, you deserve a, a sort of well-earned second guest appearance anyway, Charlie. So uh, nice thank you very much for, for, for coming on. Uh, of course, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the game tomorrow between sort of Burton uh, and Cambridge if you are listening before. Remember, do keep coming in sort of all your feedback and all the sort of attention that we've been getting. And please do not be afraid to rate us five star on your chosen podcast platform. Have a lovely rest of your week. And no doubt we will see you again very, very soon. Bye for now. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNuggets share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 